0: Everything that Jesus came to do, the work of the cross and all of that was was accomplished, you know, in, in the book of Acts. Add to that the fact that in the Old Testament, um, you can look at uh, Exodus 34, you can look at Amos chapter 9, you can look at the various passages where literally um, it's a promise that when Yahweh speaks his name, he's calling you into a covenant. So when we... Look at baptism and and just think of it as like some would say an outward sign of an inward belief. It is that, but it's 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 something incredible that God Himself would say, "You're mine. Mm. Uh, you're in relationship, and mm. your sins are gone. And I choose you to be a part of my my chosen generation, a royal priesthood, holy nation. You're you're whatever Israel was. You're that as well. I mean." Mm. What an incredible uh, a truth that, that we can know.
1: Welcome to the Hacka Podcast and to our very first episode of 2022. My name is Greg Hackathorn. Well, I don't know about you, but my year couldn't have started any better with me testing positive for COVID on the first, on the very first day of the year, testing positive. Fantastic. Don't worry, as you can tell, I'm pretty much over it but uh, we have to wait the remainder of the seven-day isolation period at home, so please keep my wife in your prayers as she deals with the kids and tries to keep us all separated from each other. Like I said in my thank you episode last week, it has been a very eventful two weeks in this house. Today we are blessed to be joined by a great man of God, someone that I have looked up to for years, Dr. David S. Norris is a professor of biblical theology at Urshan Graduate School of Theology, and he also serves as a professor of theological studies at Urshan College. He has a doctorate in religion from Temple University and a master's in theological studies from Palmer Theological Seminary. He has served as an evangelist, pastor, instructor, and author throughout his ministry and is a leading theological voice in the Oneness Pentecostal movement. He has authored many books, including I Am, A Oneness Pentecostal Theology, Life, Death, and the End of the World, Big Ideas, and Kara's Call. Today, we asked him to come onto the podcast to discuss his latest book, which is entitled Acts 2.38. Before we get to the conversation, I want to encourage you to share this with a friend. If you get something out of it, which I'm sure you will, and allow it to bless them, too. Also, make sure to visit the show notes where I have included links to where you can buy Acts 238. It is a really easy and enjoyable read that will help deepen your understanding of oneness theology. You can get a physical copy through Pentecostal Publishing out of America. So to take a while if you're in Australia or not in the U.S., it might take a while for you to get it. Uh, But you can get a physical copy through them or you can get a digital version through Pentecostal Publishing or even Amazon. Amazon carries the Kindle version of Acts 238. So I definitely encourage you to go out and get it and read the book for yourself following our conversation today. If you have time to rate and review the show, we would greatly appreciate it. Hopefully we have earned a five-star rating from you. And uh, the, the reason these ratings are important is because it gives me some feedback, but it also allows other listeners to uh, find the show. For whatever reason, these platforms prioritize people who have more ratings. So the more ratings, the more likelihood someone can discover the show. We continue to grow as those would know who listen to the Thank You podcast. And that's all because of you guys. So I appreciate that and all you guys do to get the word out. Now that all that is taken care of, let's get to my conversation with Dr. David Nullis. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining us today.
0: I'm glad to be here. My delight.
1: It's such a privilege to have you on and to talk about your new book. I just recently finished Acts 2.38, the the latest book that, that you've written. And uh, absolutely loved it. And I knew I had to try and get you on the podcast to talk about it if you could. I was blessed to uh, have you as one of my teachers when I was at Gateway a number of years back. Now, I think you taught you taught uh, biblical was it biblical teaching methods. I'm pretty sure that was the name of the course. You and your wife taught that.
0: Yes, yes. We, were, we teach that together. Uh, some courses I teach uh, in the graduate school and some in the undergraduate program. And uh, that kind of course we teach together, We it's more of like a hands-on how you teach kind of principles, uh, how, how to uh, prepare lessons. And and then we have a sort of follow-up practicum course where we go out and do it. And, and even in that course, we did some uh, application as well.
1: Yeah, I remember uh, teaching it for, I think, some adult Sunday school classes in the St. Louis area. But it was a privilege to sit in one of your classes and You've always been a favorite teacher of mine, so I'm so blessed to have you on here today. I'd like to start off these conversations with the uh, listeners getting to know my guest, uh, getting to know you a bit more. So if you wouldn't mind sharing a bit of your background, it can be very brief, but just a bit of your background, you know, where you're coming from, that sort of thing.
0: Absolutely. I was, uh, my grandfather uh, was a Pentecostal preacher and so in some sense, I was born in the church, but my, my mom and dad didn't go to church. So, uh, well, all six of their children went and actually all of them got the Holy Ghost, all were baptized in Jesus name and all uh, wound up in some sort of ministry. Uh, my dad, uh, well, so he would drop us off at Sunday school and pick us up and, uh, the other church experience I had as a child was going to summer church camp. So those were my two things that I did. Uh, um, it was a good home in terms of uh, my mom and dad were good providers, and um, my dad really believed what the church had to say, yeah. which was ironic. He would say, "Whatever the church says, do it." You know, <laughs> he wouldn't go himself. But he didn't do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So of course, unless you really have your own experience that's not going to keep you. And the wonderful thing about Pentecostal experiences, every generation is a first generation, and every experience is your own unique experience. So when I was uh, uh, 11 years old, I went to church cancer since I was five. And when I was 11, so I got the Holy Ghost and uh, really felt a call to preach. I guess that's the language. God speaks to you in the language you can understand. That's the language <laughs> I could understand. And uh, really served the Lord all my teenage years and uh, went to Bible college, went right into ministry afterwards. And uh, when I was, uh, th- my wife and I evangelized and then we started a church. When I was 30, I felt a call to to uh, teach in a Bible college setting. And I've been doing that now for uh, 37 years.
1: Wow. So you briefly mentioned your grandfather. What, one of the things I love about this book, uh, Acts 2.38 which we'll be talking about today, is the personal stories that, that you weave throughout the, the narrative, and you use these different stories to to talk about different aspects of theology, different questions, and those sorts of things. And one of the narratives that you get back to quite frequently is the one about your grandparents. And uh, your, your grandfather, Reverend S.G. Norris, and your grandmother, they were the... Founders of, is it ABI, Apostolic Bible Institute?
0: That's right. Back in the olden, olden days. <laughs> yeah. In 1937. 1937.
1: Wow. And that was before the UPCI was even a thing, right? Before yeah, the merger? there were a
0: couple of major uh, organizations. And and uh, they're, my grandfather's part of what was called the PA of JC, uh, Pentecostal Sons of Jesus Christ, which uh, came to merge with uh, other organization, which was the PCI, Pentecostal Church Incorporated.
1: And I, I especially love the story you share about how they came to God, their conversion experience. That, that was beautiful just reading that about your grandmother who uh, brought your grandfather along and how he fought uh, so hard with his faith. You know, he was like, I don't know if this is for me and kind of gave God an ultimatum. I'll leave it to the the listeners to get the book themselves and to read it. But it's a, it's a wonderful story. And that's what I love about this book. It talks about the history of the UPC, the movement. Uh, It also talks about your personal history and other things. Um, Before we dive into the the book too much, I did want to, uh, you mentioned that you felt a call to minister or to preach around the age of 11. Would you mind diving into that a little bit more just to, what was that like when you had that personal call? Because it's one thing to be the grandson uh, of these wonderful apostolic leaders, but then to have your own personal call.
0: You know, I think everyone has to have their own personal call. So I think that's so important, whether that's a uh, pulpit ministry or whether it's um, some specific thing, God has something for everyone to do in the kingdom of God. Um, but for me, and of course, you know, your grandfather's a preacher, he's a pastor. You're, I'm sure people kind of put that in my head, you know, that'd be a great thing to do. And, I actually thought it would be a great thing to do. So, when you're in the church, you don't have any. I used to think I didn't have a testimony because I never, you know, was in a gang and throwing potatoes with razor blades or anything like that. I just was a kid, you know, in the church and went to Sunday school and went to church camp. And so I got the Holy Ghost on a Thursday night. Winfred Black was the camp evangelist. And he came actually several times and uh, really gifted in terms of creating faith and uh, believing for miracles. And they always had a great camp when he was there. Uh, And then that Saturday, uh, I was baptized in, they called it, it was called Camp Galilee. And then they called the little lake, Lake Galilee. It was more of a pond than a lake, though. Uh, Anyway, I was baptized in Lake Galilee, which was an algae filled (laughs) monkey pond and uh but you know when god's there Mm -hmm. all those things become holy right um the sunday afternoon they okay so this was back in the day there weren't junior camps youth camps all kinds of camps this is a one two-week camp everybody came brought their stuff they took their family vacation this was uh so there were services after services after services i mean Nowadays, people go like, "What in the world was that?" You know. So we had a Sunday morning service, a Sunday afternoon service, and a Sunday evening service. And uh, that it was a Sunday afternoon service. I remember the preacher. I don't remember anything he said. I do remember he was boring. <laughs> and I, I, nobody was more surprised than me when I felt like God spoke to me in the context of that message. There was no flashy. Uh, fiery thing, but it was so real. I mean, I can go back to that. In fact, I lived in my teenage years on experience, and it's the kind of thing, you know, when you're a kid, and I, I, since that time, if a child tells me the Lord told me to go to Russia or Afghanistan or something, I don't, I don't, I don't um, push down anyone's dreams. I said, well, thank you so much, but you honor me by telling me, and I'm not going to tell them to go there, but but I know God will always confirm mm-hmm. the callings that he makes. And he did that for me in my teenagers. Uh, but I remember um, telling, I didn't tell anyone except my friend, my friend Tom. And my friend Tom and I were, would get into trouble together. So when I told my friend Tom, his immediate response was to laugh, uproariously <laughs> laugh at what I said. Well, again, that helps me guide people today you know be careful who you tell your dreams and mm. um, help save people and people that can um, keep confidence and all that so yeah that was my experience and I wish it would more like Saul on the road to Damascus but it was it was pretty like a normal kid thing and uh, oftentimes when you grow up in the church you just sort of grow into the things that God has for you it's not always a traumatic some kind of
1: cataclysmic thing. So uh, what advice would you give a young minister or young leader who's feeling the call to ministry and they want to uh, develop that into something more than just a call?
0: Well, there's not one path. Back in the olden days when I was um, starting ministry, there were two paths in the United States here. One was you could evangelize. Back then people came to church a lot. Didn't matter if you were good or not. (laughs) They were a sweet young couple, you know, you know, so it kind of got you started. And then another uh, typical path would be maybe to take a little country church for a couple of years and the old farmers and their families uh, would beat up on you for for, uh, the time that you were there. And after you had that experience, you go on to something else. Uh, Another opportunity you could have was to start a church and, and, uh, my wife and I evangelized a couple of years and then we we did start a church. So nowadays it's different though. We understand more about starting churches. Starting churches is like starting a business. Hmm. You know one uh, two in ten businesses that start actually succeed, and one in ten actually does more than exist. It, it grows. So right. uh, churches are hard to start. And so we're understanding more about um, teams starting churches and uh, strategizing and starting churches and so on. Um, within the local co- context of a church, if you have a church that's doing ministry, there's there's oftentimes uh, opportunities to minister. Now, maybe it's not a titled thing, but there's always something that needs to be done. There's always, I mean, there's, there's people that need to be picked up. There's a ministry you can start and this or that uh old folks home or or whatever. Um, but sometimes you just have to look for them. And they're usually, they look a lot like work and not like ministry. And they're usually not a lot of accolades for them. Uh, but, but whatever you can do, you know, do with all your heart. Uh, and then of course you'd have to have open doors, um, people that believe in you, your pastor, or, uh, even, uh, besides your pastor, mentors and, uh, Sometimes there's things you can do to prepare. You can, uh, uh, do, sometimes there's like a, a Bible college setting. There are books you can read. Um, and if you're hungry, there are lots of ways to, to grow more. So um, it's, you'll never know enough. People say, well, I know enough to get the ministry. Well, guess what? Um, nobody knows enough to represent God. So it's always an act of faith. And so I believe in lifelong learning. It's not like, well, yeah, now I've achieved, now I know everything, and so here I am.
1: Uh, I love that point, especially coming from someone like you who has spent their life, you know, learning theology, learning the Word of God, that you never, you'll never, you never know enough. And oftentimes we will hold ourselves back, you know, those who are younger who may feel called to do something for God. It's like, oh, I don't know enough, you know, I, I don't know enough about this, I don't know enough about that. If I get asked this question, what am I going to say? and and that sort of thing but you know the important part is you know i guess being confident in in the call of god and stepping out in faith and doing what's required
0: the culture has changed in some ways it's bad because um people aren't so interested in authority figures but in some ways it's good because if you don't know you can say oh i don't know or i'll <laughs> i'll find out you know and, and people won't go like, oh you must not be you must be a terrible person because you don't know no no they're like, oh that's, that's authentic, and, and they'll, they'll roll with that. Uh, ministry is so much just about caring,
1: hmm. and the
0: rest is sort of details um, how we teach and share and all those sorts of things.
1: Yeah, I love that. Well, let's get into this book. Let's get into Acts 2.38. Why did you decide to write this book?
0: Well, uh, originally, I wanted to write a book that you could give to somebody who visited your church and that would explain what we believe in a story form, uh, and that it wouldn't be um, offensive, uh, but that they would identify with the person asking questions, and and really kind of want to know what was going on as the story progressed. Hmm.
1: And I I love how you have written it. We've, I've mentioned it before that, and, and you just mentioned it there, that it is in sort of a narrative form, but throughout the narrative, you're teaching doctrine, you're teaching uh, truth, theology. Uh, you share stories from your class lectures, your time as a pastor, even a trip to Kyrgyzstan. Did I pronounce that correct? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, You know, you, you talk about co- conversion stories, your own conversion, your grandparents, others, uh, and, and there's a lot more. There's so many wonderful stories in, in theology in this book, and I'll just give a quick example uh, to read from your book. Uh, it's in chapter 9, and this is just a, a, a brief example of, of what you, how you uh, share theology throughout this book. A hint of a smile washes over my pastor's friend's face. Ignoring the scene he offers, I appreciate you taking time to explain the importance of the book of Acts, but I have to tell you I struggle with Acts as a pattern at least in the way you present it. I say, what would you suggest as an alternative? He says, simple saving faith. I counter, I too believe in simple saving faith. He says, yes, but you put a high premium on baptism and receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost. So how is that faith? My mind goes to a guest lecture to my freshman class with Dr. David Bernard, a lecture that starts in an odd way. Bernard reads from a piece of paper saying, okay, first question, do I prefer chunky peanut butter or smooth? Smooth, he says, without missing a beat. Next question, he says, and then looks down to see what it is. Every semester, we have a Q&A class period with UPCI General Superintendent David Bernard, who team teaches the course with me. Though he has considerable administrative duties, he takes time to teach, and in this case, to answer questions. No question is off limits. Students may ask about theology, his family, philosophy of the church, or any verse from the Bible. Bernard reads, "What response do we offer to someone who says we practice a works salvation, unless we believe in faith plus nothing and minus nothing?" He responds as evenly as talking about his favorite peanut butter. "Of course, faith is necessary to be saved. It is essential. Hebrews 11:6 says, "But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him." But other things are just as essential. It's essential to believe Jesus died for our sins was buried, and rose again. It's essential that God extends grace to us. A question about faith plus nothing minus nothing is focused on a single moment of belief. Yet, true biblical faith is always linked with our obedience. We are saved by grace through faith. By faith, we repent and believe the promise of Scripture that Jesus will forgive us. By faith, we obey Jesus' command to be baptized. And it is by faith we receive the Holy Spirit. So that's just an example of how you use a lecture, a story, a narrative to talk about, you know, a challenge to someone who believes that you need to repent, be baptized and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Why did you decide to choose to write this book in a narrative form as a way of sharing these truths?
0: Well, let me just uh, give the narrative hook that um, kind of drives the whole story. I was on a uh, plane trip, and I was in the middle seat. Uh, And we were landing in Atlanta, Georgia. And uh, I had just come from a teaching gig where I had taught hours and hours and hours. I was just spent. And so I didn't want to talk to anyone. I know it's probably not Christian, but I didn't want to. So I stuck my nose in the book so I wouldn't have to talk to these guys on either side of me. But the guy in the aisle... Uh, he says, uh, pretty heavy reading there. And I go, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, and I, I kind of try to blow him off several times. I try to blow him off, you know, and, um, it, and one way to do it is use big words. So I was using big words and he was tracking with my big words. You know? so <laughs> my brother, and so then finally he starts asking me questions. He says, uh, are you a teacher then? Yeah, I'm a teacher. Well, where do you teach? I teach at the Urshan Graduate School of Theology. Oh, okay. Well, where's that? And St. Louis area. And, and uh, what a denomination. I said, we're a UPC. And I say, UPC. And he always says, oh, UPC. i got to ask you a question. He interrupts his own story. He says, we're, we're running this gym to some UPC kids, real nice kids. And this girl comes up to me. And I, I gotta, he said, i got to ask you. This is what she said. She said, unless... uh, I speak in tongues, I'm going to hell. (laughs) And so I say, um, oh, I'm sorry that happened to you. (laughs) And and he said, well, no, yeah, I understand. But I I really want to know what you believe. Now, there's some people who say that and they don't want to know. They just want to argue. It turns out, like, you know, he's a really nice guy. And so, um, and he's, he's. A seminary educated everything I say he knows what I'm talking about well then you're able to kind of concentrate it down so um I do what I often do and I teach I tell stories mm-hmm. so I use that to sort of track with the stories um you know and, and so I'm thinking about something in my mind and then I well I could do this and I could do that do the other and so we'll go to a story then we come back to the plane go to the story come back to the plane so um that was kind of a cool thing that um, that it happened and that I had this experience. And I wish I could say, like, I converted him on the plane and put my hands out he his spoken tongues, but that didn't happen. So um, it's not one of those apologists, I'm so powerful, I just bowled this guy over. But it's me just fumbling and mumbling around trying to tell the right story so that he can go from one level of understanding to the next.
1: Yeah. I was actually going to ask that if that was a a real person or if that was just someone you created for in order to tell the story. So that that actually was an event that took place.
0: Yeah, yeah. And so that was such a marked match because, like, I I do some technical things in the book. I start talking about what's called chiasmus. Mm -hmm. He knows chiasmus. He's he's been a speaker, he knows exactly what I'm talking about. So when I try to explain why Acts 2 is so important, He gets that. It's Mm. like, it was really a cool moment.
1: That's awesome. And, and that's one of the things that I really like about the book is because it talks about theology in a way that's the way it's not normally talked about. You know, it talks about our faith or uh, as you say, apologetics in, in a way that isn't quite normal. You know, most of these books, they dive in real deep and there are complicated things that you do talk about, as you mentioned, chiasmus, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. Uh, But, you know, you try and keep it simple and then also tell the story in such a way that uh, it, it stays with you. And, and that's what I like about it.
0: Well, one of the um, things I have a hard time doing is writing in St. Louis. I almost have to go away like mm-hmm. for a summer or for a break to write because there's so many things kind of pulling at you. But one of the cool things that happened was uh, Jeremy Painter, who's a teacher at the school, he had started this writing club, and he he writes a lot of um, personal stories, and when he did his personal stories, it was like, okay, I can do this, I can, and the writing club was, um, you know, colleagues of mine, just people that were in writing, and they were very, very helpful, but they would tell you the truth, they'd say, well, oh, this is good, this is good, but, but why do you have to be the hero there, I mean, you know, or, <laughs> this is good, this is good, but like, Wait a minute. Why do you slam dunk everything? How come you have to know? So then I realize, I can't be the hero. I have to make the guy in the plane that implied reader, the hero, so that a, a visitor, when they read this, will identify and realize, oh, okay, that that objection is a sound objection. He mm-hmm. should be able to answer that or that that should be known, you know, so uh, kind of very slowly going through it, not just, trying to bend people backwards over to get them in the altar or something like that, but allow people to kind of simmer it on the the low setting on the stove until it it, it comes out right.
1: Right. Well, one of my favorite chapters in the book is chapter 10. Uh, You entitled it Eureka, and uh, it tells a story. Well, it doesn't tell the story about how you wrote the book, but you wrote a book a few years ago now called I Am, A Oneness Pentecostal Theology. Am I right that that was based in large part off your doctrinal uh, dissertation?
0: Yes, um, the key points were, and also my um, master's thesis, which was a historical piece on
1: oneness. Okay. So and it was, I, uh, well, that's so. another book that I would definitely recommend anyone get uh, if it's just for the end notes. Uh, they, they might struggle to read through some of the theology throughout the book because it's more of a heady, heavier type book, but the end notes are just absolutely outstanding especially when it comes to you know trying to converse with people about the oneness of God and, and different aspects of our faith uh, so the reason I, I like the chapter 10 so much is because I love I am so much the book and so it was really cool to kind of see um, one of the big developments in in the book I am come to light for you in chapter 10 Eureka and if, I, if you wouldn't mind just letting me read I know it's it might be a bit jarring for you having someone read your book especially someone like you from a dramatic background he's such a a, a great uh actor and, and reader but uh this is from chapter 10 my car somehow finds its way to princeton eureka i say mockingly as i pull into a parking space and look down at my shoes in jest i i echo the greek scientist archimedes from the third century bc in the middle of taking a bath as he is reflecting he formulates the principle of buoyancy so excited is he, and so amazed at the revelation that he runs down the street naked on his way to tell the king he cries out eureka which means i have i have it or i found it come on dave you just need to get out of this car and get in that library yes i do i say but i don't i just sit there i pulled the keys from the ignition but have no strength to do anything more i think i shouldn't be here i shouldn't even be doing what i'm doing I think of my grandfather saying, I don't care if they are a PhD, THD, DD, or Twiddle DD. I now put the keys back into the ignition to go home. It's no use. Yet, for some reason, I never turn the key in the ignition to leave. I just sit there. After a while, the voice of my grandmother, Jessie, breaks through my brokenness. She intones, be all you can be, learn, and grow, and never stop learning. After a minute of nothingness, I take my keys from the ignition, gather up my things, and open the car door. Even as I walk toward the entrance of the library, my doubt returns. My feet get heavier as I head through the door. Why, O God, would you call me to something I can't finish? Every month, I'm going deeper in debt. Lord, I just can't do this anymore. I pastor a small church, and I'm flying out a couple times a month to teach at a Bible school in Indianapolis. But none of this is really paying the bills. Who am I kidding? Suppose I do find the key to writing this dissertation and spend another year or more finishing it. None of the people on my dissertation committee even agree with each other on most things. I can never pass. It's all a waste. Excuse me, says a student librarian who sees me in crisis and mumbling to myself, can I help you? I gather myself together enough to say, I'm new to the library. I'm looking for dissertations that have been written by students here. Are they in the stacks, or do they have their own special section? He heads me in the right direction all the while, I think as I walk... I will not look down at my shoes. I will not look down at my shoes. And that's just referencing something you say earlier in the chapter about accidentally putting on the uh, mismatched color shoes. Um, I pull the dissertation down from the shelf and begin paging through it. Immediately, I'm taking with the font. I think, amazing. This entire dissertation was typed on an actual typewriter. Accents and special markings are pinned in by hand. I hold it reverently like a cuneiform tablet containing secrets embedded in its chiseled pictograms. All of this without even a word processor. After four minutes of scanning through the pages, I go to the pertinent passage, then back up a few pages to get the full context. At once, I am convinced this is it, that new thing no one has ever said before, that the name of Yahweh can only be understood in the context of worship. I deduce, in fact, New Testament baptism in Jesus' name builds on Yahweh orally calling His name over His people as He calls them into covenant. and in giving them His name, Yahweh gifts them with his power, his purpose, and his love. And then uh, a little bit later, you, you come back to this story because you, you cut away and you talk about something else and then you come back uh, to where you're at in the library and you say, someone turns to look at me and I realize I'm still making copies in the Princeton Library. I reflect on the wonder of God's redemptive plan. After a bit, I say out loud, why wouldn't you want to be baptized in the name of the one who died for you? Several people passing behind me in the hall no doubt hear me. I think, it's all there. The name Yahweh is a theophoric element in the name of Jesus. The Hebrew Yeshua, Jesus, literally means Yahweh has been our salvation. There is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. A lady with high heels clicking as she walks glances back at my voice. I smile and go back to work. I'm now humming and laughing as the machine continues to wish out each page. I stand in my mismatched shoes and plunk in a quarter thinking, He did it. Jesus died for me. He paid the price to reconcile me to God. Through Jesus' name, God made me incredible promises, and even when I am at my lowest moments, He still carries me. The privilege and sweetness of Jesus calling me into covenant washes over me as I am talking out loud and crying, all the while making illegal copies in my brown and black shoes. And then I say, and this time I mean it, Eureka! I found it! I I love that story and I think a lot of it has to do with I talk about covenant a lot when it comes to baptism. I feel like we we don't go deep enough when we talk about Jesus name baptism but in, in reference uh to that story why was this eureka moment why do you believe that this eureka moment is so important for the believer?
0: Well um thank you for reading that and uh you bring back memories and so much uh, floods in, it's hard to really talk about all that went into that day. But uh, for me, uh, you know, I've always believed in, and it's right there, Acts 2.38, you know, we, we learn it, two-year-olds learn it and five-year-olds learn it. And, and so sometimes people think it's just like, uh, well, the Baptists have their John 3.16s and we have our Acts 2.38 or whatever. But when I uh, the more I studied it, the more I realized, whoa! The mission of Jesus was to baptize with the Holy Ghost. Mm. Everything that Jesus came to do, the work of the cross, and all of that was was accomplished, you know, in in the Book of Acts. Add to that the fact that in the Old Testament, um, you can look at uh, Exodus thirty-four, you can look at Amos chapter nine, you can look at the various passages where literally. Um, it's a promise that when Yahweh speaks his name he's calling you into a covenant so when we look at baptism and, and just think of it as like someone would say an outward sign of an inward belief it is that but it's 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 something incredible that God himself would say you're mine mm. uh, you're in relationship and mm. your sins are gone and I choose you to be a part of my my chosen generation, a royal priesthood, holy nation. You're you're whatever Israel was, you're that as well. I mean what an incredible uh a truth that, that we can know. So I, I don't think there's one aha moment like that. I just think it you can go your whole life and it gets deeper and deeper and more precious. Yeah. But that certainly was a, a, a moment for me.
1: Yeah, I like I said, I, I love the way that you talk about Um, covenant in relation to baptism and how baptism through baptism you're entering into covenant obviously the new testament talks about that and like i said i feel like we kind of jump over that sometimes when we're talking to someone about being baptized we go straight to your sins are washed away uh, and we don't really talk about the covenant aspect of it which i think is so important because it's it's inter as you said it's, it's intertwined with what happens in the old testament and it brings the whole story together absolutely well, one last portion of the book that I wanted to read, I wanted to highlight this, but before we get to that, you mentioned it briefly before you talked about chiasmus. Would you be able to explain, I, I know you, you say even in the book you say it's a bit of a complex idea, but would you be able to explain um, what a chiasmus is?
0: Yes, yes, absolutely. So in um, Hebrew writing there's a yeah, I'm. I'm thinking. I need a chalkboard. It's what I think. Kind of if I were to draw a big X on a on a chalkboard, and uh, everything goes towards the center, and everything goes out from the center, two verses can be a chiasmus just by inverting words. Hmm. Um, um, a chapter can be a chiasmus. Everything goes towards the center point. I'm going. I'm writing on uh, John now. I'm working doing research on John. The whole prologue enters. Uh, you, you find a theme that's in verse one, that's in four, or verse six, and then it finally lands on like verse 10 and 11. And the same words are used coming out of that theme mm. in the next verses, next verses, and the next verses. So it's an X, it's going to a central point and then coming out from the central point. Again, that's probably pretty hard to really grasp on the first telling of it. But uh, what scholars have told us is that there's a chiasmus in Luke and Acts. Um, Luke is a theological writing. It's not just a history book. It's not just a story of Jesus. Uh, if I took you to all the different places in Luke's gospel, uh, over a dozen places where he's heading to Jerusalem to die, and it, it goes all the way back to the early parts of the book. So it's not really that he, he's taking all that long to get to Jerusalem. But it's a thematic point that luke is saying and what he's really trying to say is whatever happens in jerusalem that's the most important thing and of course uh, we know what happened in jerusalem jesus death his burial and his resurrection but that's not all that happened in jerusalem luke 24 49 he jesus he's ready to send. it's all over but remember luke and acts are two books that go together and their story continues from Luke to Acts. He says that repentance, remissions of sins to been preached in his name beginning at Jerusalem. Verse 49, he says, go to Jerusalem. I'll send you the promise of my father. Everything that I promised you, you haven't got it yet, hmm. but it's going to come to you. Picks up in Acts chapter 1. Acts one, 1.4, he commands them to go to Jerusalem. Uh, and so you have Acts 1.8, and here's the pattern, the, the outward X. The inward of X is everything going to Jerusalem, Acts uh, 1-8, you'll be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the end of the earth. It's this X that goes outwards. So if theologically what happens important is the center of the X, and if the center of the X is what happens in Jerusalem, then Luke is not just telling a history, but he's telling a theology that, pay attention to what happens in Jerusalem. That's what is the most important thing theologically. He will get the first hand death, yes, burial, resurrection. What they miss is the mission of Jesus was to baptize with the Holy Ghost. Right. John came to baptize with water. Jesus came to baptize with the Holy Ghost. How many people were baptized in the Holy Ghost in Luke? Well, none. John seven thirty nine. The Holy Ghost was not given because Jesus was not yet glorified. But in Acts two, after Jesus is glorified, then he pours out the Spirit. He links it. Um, You have this official speaker in Peter in Acts 2.16 who links it with the prophecy of Joel. And in verse 33, he says, he's poured out this which you now see and hear. So tongues are very much enmeshed in that receiving of the Spirit. And then the first time, you have all 12 apostles standing together, only time in the book of Acts. And you've got them standing together, and they're asking, what shall we do? And this is the answer that's given. The whole thing is set up for this. Repent, let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, mission, since you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So the uh, literary genre of Luke, Acts, and of, of Semitic Hebrew way of thinking demonstrates for us that we're not just crazy for emphasizing that verse, Acts 2.38, or we're not just making it up as, well, that's our verse but that the Bible itself points us in that very direction.
1: Yeah. And that was going to, I guess, be my follow-up question. And you kind of referenced what I was going to read anyway, so there's no need to read that. Um, but yeah, in reading this book, especially towards the end of the book, you you grab a hold of the fact that there's so much more to Acts 2.38 than than we ever thought there was, like, you know, you know we believe okay this is the first message preached on the day of Pentecost, but then you show, as you said, through literary form, why everything's pointing to that. But then the opposite takes place. You know on the way out, as you said, it's like an X. Mm-hmm. So so it's building up, building up, building up, and then this Holy Spirit's poured out, and then it, it starts going yeah. out. It
0: you. you your children to all that are far off, because the Lord God will call, and that's what happens. in Acts eight Samaritans, Acts ten the Gentiles you have the rest of Acts going, where Acts 17, they would say, these who have turned the world upside down have come here also. So uh, that's the story of Acts, uh, how that single message gets uh, splashed across the first century
1: world. It's amazing. And you actually argue, I think you argue a little bit later in the book that it's more than just a a Luke-Acts chiasmus, but uh, you know, there's more to the story. I don't know if we want to get there because we want people to actually get the book and and read the book. But uh, it's it's such a such a, a wonderful read. I really enjoyed it. I I hadn't heard about it, and then I just happened across uh, Brother Bernard mentioned it on his Facebook. He was talking about how he you know how he sometimes posts. I don't know if if you go on Facebook. I know your wife does, but he sometimes posts the books that he's reading. And he and he yeah. wrote Acts two thirty eight thirty-eight by uh, Doctor David Norris. I'm like. Well, Brother Norris has a new book out. No way! So I went and got it, and uh, I highly recommend anyone uh, to go ahead and read it. Especially, you know, if you're into teaching Bible studies, if you're wanting to share the gospel, but also if you want to get something for someone who is questioning, who you know is coming to Pentecost for the first time, uh, interacting with the Apostolic Church, and they want to know what we believe, why we believe it, uh, and if there is a foundation for that belief, and, and it's not just you know, a, a church making up whatever they, they want about the Bible?
0: A, a number of churches and individuals are using it and uh, and buying a, a number in quantity. I uh, had a friend uh, call me, and or no, I guess he emailed me, texted me something. And he said, how do I get large quantities? So I said, well, contact uh, PPH, uh, Pentecostal Publishing House. And so he, uh, because he got a larger order, he, they discounted him. And he bought 150 for his church to give to visitors, and um, had a guy call me last week. And he's working with the Amish community, and he said, "I'm buying a whole bunch of them, going to give them out." Uh, and so, uh, I'm pretty uh, excited about, um, you know, the, the that it's going to be able to be used that way. It's, it's not offensive. It's something you can read and enjoy as a story. But all the while you're doing that, you're know, you're getting truth, sort of, a seed that's sown in the in the context of the
1: book and and you keep in mind who the reader might be so obviously uh you know it might be someone like me who already believes this but there's also a chapter at the end of the book where uh it's open. It, you know it's addressing someone who might be questioning or someone who's approaching this for the first time so yeah i would definitely recommend it as a, as a gift uh, i'm in charge of administration at my church and and one of the things we like to do is give out a free gift to to guests and so maybe this would be a good thing for you to give out to guests, or even uh, if, if you're starting like an onboarding sort of class, a membership type class, this would be a great book to give out to someone to, to get a further understanding uh, of what we believe in. And I'll have links to where you can buy it. You can buy the physical copy. I'll have links to where you can get it. I think you can get, can you get the physical copy on Amazon? I know you can on PPH. Uh
0: well PPH owns it and so right now they haven't yet put it on Amazon whether they will or not I don't know um uh so we'll wait to see kind of what how that goes
1: okay but you could definitely get the digital version on uh Amazon I got I've got the Kindle version I think I th- oh no there is a Kindle version but I bought the one the PDF straight from uh PPH which you can do as well you can get the electronic copy through uh, pph and they'll they'll email it to you and you click the link and it's it's there on your tablet to read if you don't want to wait for uh shipping <laughs> and I, i've yet actually here in, in australia we've um pph has set up an australian website so i have to have a look at that um i'll have the link on there if it's available through the pentecostal publishing house the australia version i'll make sure to link that as well for those who listen to the podcast who are in australia One final question, I'd like to ask this to uh, everyone who comes on the podcast. Um, What drives you when it comes to ministry, when it comes to uh, what you're doing in the kingdom of God? What is it that is that driving force for you?
0: When I was uh, 30 years old, um, the church that I started was doing pretty good. Um, And I was very thankful for that, but I was creating, uh, somehow I was discontent. And when missionaries would come through, I'd ask them all the same question. I said, well, I'm glad what we're doing here, but what are we doing to reach the world? And uh, one missionary said, well, maybe you're called to be a missionary. Just uh, spend about 30 days in prayer and uh, you can fast and seek God. And if God speaks to you, then you'll know that that's what he wants. I said, well, I, I I've never thought of being a missionary. He says, well, have you ever volunteered? I said, no. He said, "Well, God doesn't force anyone to do anything. Tell me, be willing to do something." And so I said, "Okay, okay, I'll do that." And so uh, at the end of thirty days, I didn't feel anything about missions. But then I had another friend, uh, Rick Lucas. He was a missionary, still is, to Japan, and he was there, and we were having lunch, and he uh, he said, uh, "You know, I'd like to start a Bible college." And, uh, Japan at some point, if I can. He says, that's the way we're gonna reach the world. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm driving a bus, school bus in the afternoon and and I could tell you the place, I remember the time. It was as real to me as receiving the Holy Ghost where God said, that's what I want you to do. I want you to invest your life in the uh, lives of others because you can only do so much. Mm -hmm. But it's them I've called to reach the world. So I would say to your listeners, though, if you're listening to today, I would say this. I don't think it's an accident that I'm here on this podcast, and not because I'm so special, but because you're so special. Because I believe that God has already spoken to you, and I believe that he has called you for a special purpose. And why you're waiting or why you're doubting, I, you know, I understand that. It's just human. Um, but I wonder if you would just do what that missionary asked me to do. you just take the next little bit, make yourself open to God, and say, Lord, put in my hand what you want to put in there. Take out what you want to take out. I want to follow that special voice and how the promises that you gave me that I don't think I can do and I'm not worthy, but I trust in you, Lord, that you're going to help me. To reach the world, I'm going to pray for you now. Pray a blessing. Lord God, we're here together and we hear your voice. We feel your spirit. And Lord, I thank you, God, for how you've already spoken to us and for the things that you've already done in our lives. But there is this thing, there is this commitment, Lord God, there is this next step. Lord, and I pray for courage. I pray for provision. I pray for boldness. I pray, Lord God, for surrender. And I pray for your spirit to move on us, Lord God, and help us to do the thing that you're calling us to do. I pray blessings on this one right now. And I pray that you would work in their lives the miracles that you promised. And I pray that you would open doors of ministry that you promised. And I pray, Lord God, that their voice and that their writing and that their ministry would be uh, fruitful and that you would accomplish your work through them and use them to reach the world. And I thank you, God, that you're doing that in the name of Jesus Christ.